I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Brendan Hess. And this is the Nom Nom Project. Project. So Brandon, this is the season finale of So Brandon, this is the season finale of the Nom Nom Project. We don't have any videos in particular to talk about. There's no particular subject for this episode, but I wanted to kind of meet up one final time to talk about the country about Vietnam about what we have learned, about this whole experience. Of course, this is the first season of the Nom Nom Project. Season two, which we will talk about in our next episode, will be very different from this one. But just as a whole, how has this experience been for you, Brandon? I think it's certainly been very enlightening. I've never gone into such a deep dive into a different country like we've done here. It's surprising to find as an American that there are in fact cultures outside of the United States that have histories longer than my own. And that was quite a joy to discover. Yeah, learning about Vietnam has been a truly fascinating experience. I'm a huge history buff. I love reading different histories, whether we're talking Alexander Great, Genghis Khan, many of the different Chinese empires, samurais in Japan, really all across the globe. But I guess Vietnam for me has kind of always been looked over. Of course, as American, we know about the Vietnam War, but at least in my history class, the Vietnam War was like a two-day lecture, if that. And that two-day lecture was mostly from the perspective of the United States. And not necessarily that they were saying that the Vietnam War was a good thing. There's not really a whole lot of people on the uh, upside of the Vietnam War. But when you talk about the Vietnam War as American, you're really talking about how it affected Americans and really the culture here and how the Vietnam War is perhaps different than many of the wars the U.S. fought before, of course, most specifically in the sense that this was the real first war that Americans openly protest. Of course, with every single war in the U.S., there's always, as with every war everywhere, There's always dissenters, there's always people who aren't into the whole war thing, but the Vietnam War for the United States was truly the first one where there was a lot of open protests and there was a lot of questions of freedom of speech and drafting and all that kind of stuff. But to not only see the Vietnam War from the perspective of Vietnam, which is extraordinarily complicated because of course at the time Vietnam was actually two separate countries with two separate views and political platforms, that sort of thing. But to see Vietnam grow as a country and really to, you know, come into this experience knowing almost nothing about the country of Vietnam, I probably couldn't even point to you on a map when we started this project to be where we are today has been a truly magical experience. Yeah, I would say it is interesting to see how socialist countries in the periphery of the USSR developed after the fall of communism. I was particularly interested to learn about that. And it's very surprising to see that essentially everywhere becomes capitalist uh, post-2000. Yeah, that's certainly something we've talked about on the show and in specific episodes before, which is the seeming implausibility of a socialist society in a capitalist world. Now, perhaps it could work on a much smaller scale if we're talking dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of people in like a very small country that's just kind of closed off and run its own ecosystem. But of course, Vietnam, like every other country in the world, 
functions off not only the countries around it, but countries across the world. And it just doesn't seem very plausible to function properly as a socialist country. Now, of course, they have socialist aesthetics, as we've talked about before, and they certainly attempt some socialist ideas and not all bad ones. I mean, certainly when you look at their constitution, it's full of really intelligent and interesting ideologies that you would hope for any country, but like so many constitutions, they look a lot better on paper. (laughs) It's always difficult to say if you're an outside observer, what the true political climate is in Vietnam. The vibe I get, and that's really all I can go off of from reading things on the internet, is that people are generally supportive of the Vietnamese government, while at the same time recognizing its corruption and baseline injustices that come with any modern nation state. I see a lot of hope when I think about Vietnam for the future of American democracy, since it seems like Vietnam in general does a better job of representing its people's wishes and being responsive to actual events that are happening to its people. The United States seems very detached a lot of times from what's actually going on to the American public. And Vietnam, like other Asian states, frankly, is a good proof of concept of of how representative government could actually function. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about this so many times before, but one of the most admirable parts about Vietnam, of course, it's a smaller country relative to, well, many of the countries it surrounds and many of the countries across the globe. But this is kind of the testing grounds in many ways, as you say, a proof of concept of sort for larger countries. I mean, the way they can represent small local communities and the way those local communities can have such a big impact. I mean, we talk about how important local politics here is in the United States, but if we're being completely honest, because of the way the U.S. government is designed, and this is in many ways purposeful because of the many, many bureaucracies, I should say, within this country, well, it does make it very hard to fuck anything up, which is kind of the whole idea of the American government, it also makes it incredibly complicated for anything to get done. Where the Viennese government, as we've talked about before, if they want to change something, they can do it in a matter of days. I mean, they could change the constitution. Now, of course, there are some scary things that come along with that. And perhaps some of the things you would ask for a bit more bureaucracy, just because it could fall into the hands of a dictator pretty easily. Now, it hasn't yet, or I guess it depends on your views of Ho Chi Minh, but we're talking about more the Doi Moi era. And since then, we certainly haven't seen that as of yet and hope to not see that in the future. But I can understand certain trepidations with it. But as long as the local governments are being represented, which up to this point, it does seem like that is done. I mean, the fact that your local representative is representative of a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand people. I mean, talk about how much vote. <laughs> you have as an individual when you basically have the power of one of a hundred, one of a thousand, and then your person is one of 500, which is a pretty small community. I mean, you really feel like you have a voice where here in the United States, 
I think part of the reason so many people don't go vote come November, especially in the quote unquote off seasons or whenever there's not a presidential election is because they don't feel like their vote matters. They feel like I'm one of 300 or 365 million votes. And even if I do vote in one direction or the other, technically at the end of the day, we don't have a direct democracy. We have representative democracy. And part of that representative democracy is that technically our state representatives don't have to vote for the same person we did. And there's not really a whole lot we can do about it. We don't even technically vote for who our state representative is. It's an incredibly ridiculous and arbitrarily complicated process that you don't see in Vietnam. And I would certainly love to see that concept if any of the governmental concepts could be transitioned to other countries. I think that would be one that's certainly viable for other countries and certainly possible for other countries. The only question is, what's the benefit for the people in these other countries? It's very obvious what the benefit is for the communities, but at the end of the day, governments are run by people of immense power and would they want to give up that immense power so that we could have a more representative democracy? I mean, besides a revolution of some kind, it's tough to say. I know there's certainly those quotes about, you know, the only way to change government is through bloody revolution and all that. Although in the 21st century, I'm not sure if that necessarily applies. I don't know. I, I think hope it those... <laughs> we, we certainly hope it doesn't. Yeah, I'm not looking for a bloody. <laughs> um, yeah, and I agree with you. The internet has made it a lot easier, in a sense, to motivate people to do things with very little actual suffering involved. Like, if we're talking about the time of the communist revolution in Vietnam, the conditions Ho Chi Minh was working under were absolute poverty. Mm -hmm. People were living in feudal conditions. They were being oppressed by colonial government, which didn't even care for their lives whatsoever. And you can see how a revolutionary atmosphere can evolve from that. But nowadays we have technology which is able to show us poor conditions and make us empathize with that because we can see it more clearly in a way that we don't need to muster armies together to topple our governments. We can simply get everyone together outside of the government and put pressure on it to change. Yeah, absolutely. And we've certainly seen that in the past 15 to 20 years, especially the last 10, 12 years with the growth of different social medias and just the power that the internet, I guess, for lack of a better term, really has. And I'm reminded of this book that I read probably two or three years ago now, and I'm blanking on the name. So apologies to our listeners, because I cannot think of the name of this book. It will be in the show notes, though, so you can find it yourself. But this book is all about false beliefs. It's basically taking these big questions that people have believed for basically thousands of years will always be necessary. It's just kind of inevitable of sorts. And this is a statistical analysis basically of these different types of perspectives on something that we just assume is forever. A good example is he has a whole chapter on war. And of course, since the beginning of time, we've been like, yeah, people are gonna keep killing each other because people are power hungry and greedy and blah, 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 and a million reasons. 
and he actually makes some pretty interesting arguments for why war perhaps might not be a thing in the future, that there is a future in which war simply does not need to exist. And this isn't just a utopian version of the world. He's not a utopianist in that sense, although, of course, a world without war would be absolutely fantastic. But it's based on statistical analysis and scientific arguments. And one of the arguments they makes that I suppose is related to this discussion is he argues for a world without government. Now, I don't see this happening in the near future. I don't think the American government's going to collapse in the next five to 10 years, and we're just going to be anarchists. I'm not an anarchist by any means. I certainly see the values of government and what they can provide for people. But I think the role of government is going to change immensely in the next 20 to 30 years. And I've been listening to an interview with Mark Zuckerberg, of all people, who's not my favorite person. I certainly have some problem with a lot of these tech billionaires who kind of think they run the world and control the world. But some interesting points that he makes is in the future, we're more likely to function as a society governed by individuality more than governments. Now, the whole idea of government, of course, is actually to subvert our own psychological and physiological need to protect ourselves. Actually, original governments, when you look at tribal communities all the way back to ancient times, they were created because people were basically only protecting themselves or their small family group. And a government was basically a replacement for a familial group. Of course, governments have grown so big at this point that I don't necessarily feel as if another American living in, I don't know, Southern Texas is technically, you know, my brother in some sense. I mean, I know patriotism comes on different level for different people, but I think in the world of the internet, in a world where so much really can't be governed, I think the power of government is just going to become smaller and smaller, despite the fact that they are going to do more and more to try to gain more control. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily. I'm not someone who's like, we should go live off the land again and, you know, fuck the government, don't pay your taxes. Please please pay your taxes. (laughs) But I don't know. I can't really imagine a world where the government has more control, especially just as we move forward. Now, if businesses will kind of take the place of that, which isn't the best reality, I kind of think of Ready Player One, which is supposed to be a sort of utopia at the end. But if you've ever watched the movie, read the book, the entire world is run by one company. It is quite horrific in many ways. (laughs) Yes. So I certainly don't hope that Meta or Google or whatever becomes our new overlord, our new government. Doesn't he like contract himself into slavery at some point in that film? In Ready Player One? (laughs) <laughs> or is, it, is it him or the girl? One of them turns into a slave, a corporate slave. Like they, they get put in a small yeah. box that they can't leave. To, Basically, to yeah. play video games as part of their <laughs> slavery contract. That's their job. <laughs> yeah, I certainly yeah, hope that's not the future. I mean, this isn't a Ready Player One discussion, but I think it's interesting that at the end of the film, and I, th- I think this is Vietnam related in the sense that at the end of the film, we're supposed to celebrate the fact that this young kid or our protagonist basically becomes the CEO of the company. 
but the company still exists. They've just put another person in charge. <laughs> and I think sometimes there is a fear that that may happen in Vietnam where there's just a change in leadership and nothing really changes. I know we've talked about the fact that for the first time in Vietnam's history, we have a leader of the Communist Party who is serving a third term. Now that was voted into effect very quickly, very easily. We've talked about how they don't have the bureaucratic strings of many other governments. And maybe that's not a bad thing at all. Maybe he's doing a great job. As we've kind of talked about, it's hard to tell who does what in the government. They keep everything very much under wraps, especially when they're in office. When they're out of office, you can kind of tell because you know things are released and that sort of thing. But I mean, I certainly don't hope that this is a step towards dictatorship by any means. And I'm not saying that it is at all, but I am a bit concerned by the fact that he was so easily put into a third term. But I don't know about the other movements. I mean, we talked about how there's a new president and a new prime minister. So maybe they're gunning for the position. I don't know. I think the Vietnam government is very efficient and in many ways is very representative of the people. But I am always afraid with a government like Vietnam's because their press is controlled by the government because it's so efficient that it could very quickly move in a direction that is dangerous for the people. And no one wants that to happen. I think in general, it's very difficult to apply a Western moral political framework to Vietnam. It's tough to say what is and isn't an immoral action by the standards of the Vietnamese government because a great deal of Vietnam isn't urbanized in the way that Western countries are. There are a lot of people who forget living in the suburbs outside of cities. They live nowhere near industrial zones to begin with. They live in small villages. They live in, in hamlets. And that's not to say that there isn't like infrastructure to help people. Vietnamese government has done a great job of connecting everyone together with roads and electricity and internet and running water and everything. But at the same time, it's difficult to say that they're doing a good or bad job because they don't have half of their population living in suburbs like we do in the United States. They don't have these massive cities with their own conditions of exploitation and suffering like we do. It's such a wildly different standard of life that to say that you're living a good life in Vietnam doesn't imply the same conditions of wealth that it would have to in the United States to say that you're living a good life. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to something a little more upbeat. Let's talk a little bit about festivals. Vietnam's got tons of them. I mean, we've talked about, what, like 15, 20 different festivals, if not more on this podcast. So Brandon, let's go to you first. What is your favorite Vietnamese festival? I really like the one where you have to go on a pilgrimage up into the mountains. Yes. I think just like journeying in general is interesting. That's not something you see. Like most festivals in America, that's all I can compare it to, are like you put up a couple decorations in your window in your house and you like you watch something special on TV. Like there will be a parade somewhere or there will be like a bunch of people in a room. Sort of peanut special. Yeah. Just talking about it. And, you know, and then you drink a lot. Obviously, that's (laughs) 
but in Vietnam, you know, there's like there's all this different stuff. You go to the city, you 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 march with the people, or you go up into these mountains and you pray. Or I can't exactly remember what they were doing during that festival. I think there's they you play steel drums. Yes, you play music. Human chess, of course. My favorite kind of chess, and that's just a, a lot more fun. I also really like the one where there's that Buddhist festival in one of their cities where they burn a bunch of incense. I think that's, I just like incense in general. So that just seems like very positive vibe. Absolutely. Those are some pretty badass festivals. I mean, the idea of you wake up in the morning and you're like, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to hike up a mountain. And then when we get to the top, we're going to play some steel drums. We're going to get drunk. We're just going to have a great time. Like, what a reward. Although I suppose going back down the mountain probably isn't the most fun thing to do after a day of celebrating and climbing up a mountain. Maybe that's a day two sort of thing. Maybe they don't do that on the same day because that'd be a long day. At least the festival isn't at the bottom of a mountain. Imagine having to walk back, but you have to go up that time. That would, no, that would suck. That would be even more unfortunate. The Incense Festival, of course, is absolutely wonderful. I mean, hopefully we'll run into one of these festivals, but the idea of smelling incense from literally miles if not dozens of miles away is just absolutely insane and just the amount of things that got to be going on with your nose like that's just got to be such an experience I can't even imagine but if I'm going to pick a festival which there's so many I mean they got all these cool dance festivals and flower festivals and Buddhist festivals I mean there are so many that are just so badass so when I pick my festival here, do not feel as if this is the only festival I will go to. I would, I would go to all the festivals. I mean, there's basically a festival like every week in Vietnam. Like Vietnam, just they know how to party. They know how to have a good time. Let's be honest. But if I'm going to choose a festival, I am most certainly going to be choosing the bullfighting festival. I knew you were. Going to or, excuse say that. me, the buffalo the fighting buffalo festival. festival. <laughs> I mean, that's just so awesome. It's very cool. I mean, you spend months training these buffalo to go at each other, these like one ton animals. They're quite large, bigger than bulls. <laughs> just, just like fucking going at each other. And then at the end of the day, you get to eat them. I know PETA probably isn't a huge fan of the Buffalo Fighting Festival, but on the other hand, fuck PETA. So that's peak buffalo, though. I think if you're a buffalo and you're trained to kill other buffalo by fighting them to death, you're living your best life if you can do that like they're very uh, territorial creatures they're very mm. alpha male oriented so you know the chance to beat each other in physical combat that's like that's peak buffalo yeah and i mean thousands of people get to watch you you're like i mean you're a superstar basically and then at the end of the day sure you're slaughtered and eaten but i mean if you're gonna be eaten like everyone's gonna be like wow that buffalo's good luck so I mean, if I was the buffalo, I'd be like, yeah, that's right. Not only am I killing the other buffalo, but I'm also delicious. Mm -hmm. So, and it's on a beach. I mean, come on. You got beach, you got buffalo, you got delicious food. I don't know what's not to love. I certainly agree. I think just the fact that it's a festival on a beach in general puts it leagues above many of the other ones. My understanding is that Vietnam is a very tropical place. I'm not sure if that part, I really should know this, I suppose, but I'm not sure if that part of the Pacific Ocean is warm. Uh, I'd like to think it is. 
<laughs> so that you could, you could just uh, have a, a nice beach day watching some buffalo fight on the cool, warm waters of the South China Sea. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, kind of running in that vein, something we've talked a lot about on the show is mythology. Brandon, do you have a favorite myth or perhaps favorite mythical character? The Golden Turtle, I think, certainly has to be my favorite character in Vietnamese lore. He's like Vietnam's weaponsmith, or he's like Vietnam's armory. He's like the, the cult of Vietnam, uh, the, the weapon manufacturer, or perhaps maybe the browning of Vietnam. Uh, he's just always got little pieces of him to give to Vietnamese heroes to vanquish mostly Chinese people. Admittedly, there's a lot of arming the Vietnamese against the Chinese. And my favorite tale, I think it would have to be the battle between the mountain and water spirit for that lovely lady of Vietnamese antiquity. Just the idea that you would be so jealous of someone that you would cause a massive flood to destroy the entire planet is... Uh, that's quite a Chad move, frankly. <laughs> it really is one of the great stories and was definitely a top three choice for myself. But I don't know. I think I'm going to have to go with Jung Lu. I mean, that guy, I mean, he, you got a three-year-old and he's just thrown out on his own. Mm. Like, shitty village. Come on, people. Okay, he can't talk. He's a little behind whatever the world's just like you know what fuck you i guess you're three years old and you don't know how to talk yet you're worthless to us now he's on his own he's crying he's being three and when he sees an army he doesn't run he doesn't cry he doesn't go home to his mommy he turns into a full-grown man and just slaughters an entire again chinese army mm -hmm. that's god's way slaughtering chinese if you're vietnamese of course otherwise it's racist can I yes, say if, that? If you're listening. <laughs> I, I think it's okay because the Vietnamese have long been oppressed by the Chinese. But yeah. if you're listening to this, we do not hate the Chinese. We love all people equally. And please do not go out and slaughter the Chinese. Even if you are Vietnamese, please don't do that. We would prefer the slaughtering of no people. Just bulls. Buffaloes, really. Yeah. Only buffalo. Well, they have tasty flesh. I have no comment on that. But... I mean, as far as heroes go, Zhang Lu is the most badass. I don't know any other hero who goes from a three-year-old to a grown-ass man, slaughters an army, and then everyone's like, wow, you're so badass. We love you now. He's like, nope, I'm just going to go to heaven. Like, good for you, Zhang Lu. Good for you. I always wonder what happens to differently abled people in history. In modern times, there's enough medicine and, and modern techniques to help acclimate people to society. But 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, even, or perhaps even 2000 years ago, as was the story sometime around that, it must have been much more difficult, especially since you were apparently at constant risk of being abandoned by your community at any point. So I suppose really you just had to join the army. Sounds like you just had to go and, and fight to the death, which sounds like a pretty good society, to be honest with you. I think that's pretty cool. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> All right, then let's just move on to food. We've talked about yeah. a lot of delicious foods, but if you can only have one, 
I mean, let's say you go to Vietnam and you can only have one meal. What's that meal going to be? It's probably going to be banh mi. Those sandwiches are very tasty. I've had one now since starting this project, and it was quite good. They really know they how to... have a lot of... Cilantro. Basil? Cilantro, yes. yeah. <laughs> yes. I think it was pork, thinly sliced pork, and cilantro, obviously, and bread. All you need for a sandwich, and quite delicious, I must say. That sounds... Mwah. Chef's kiss. And I can imagine it's only even more delicious in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I think for me... No, I don't remember the name for this, so apologize to all of our listeners. But I think I'm going to go with that pork that they cook right on the street and that you can get on a stick. You know what I'm talking about? Stick pork? Is it the stuff where they have a little box that they carry around with a bunch yeah. of... Yeah. Yeah, it's like you get it from like a street broth. vendor. Yeah. That stuff seems really good, too. I mean, first of all, it's on a stick, which everything on a stick is just superior to things not on a stick. Certainly. So you got that going for you. You can eat it right on the street, so you can eat it on the go. You know, it could be a busy businessman. You could be on your way to a movie or theater or go to, like, that water puppet thing that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And you could just be eating meat on a stick. And it's meat, so, you know, it's good for you, I guess, sort of. I don't know. They boil it's it. It's keto. probably healthy. Uh, sure. It's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds delicious. Health regulations prevent that sort of food from being sold in the United States, where it's just like a guy with a box full of hot food. Pork? For, yeah. He's sitting on a street corner for three days in a row where he sleeps, too, because these people... Well, I can't speak for Vietnamese people, but my impression is that if you're selling food out on the street in a little box, you probably don't have very much... To return to at your home and so you know you don't really see that in the united states because it's not very safe but frankly i say fuck it we should take a page out of the vietnamese book it'd be so convenient you know to not have to walk into a store maybe at uh freeway exits where those that like stoplight to turn onto a normal road we can have you know guys in little bodegas with like a a cardboard sign that you know has the menu on it and then you can just hand them cash through your window and they'll give you some steamed chicken i guess that sounds incredibly dangerous <laughs> some some uh chicken nuggets from costco that have been i believe that's just a drive through at this point that have been roasted over an open <laughs> flame it's essentially a drive through yeah well it has to be americanized in some way i mean you do have your kebab stations you're in chicago they have a lot of falafel and hot dogs of course a lot of hot dog stations Although I don't think it's to the same level as these street vendors. And you're right. Due to the lame-ass health regulations, we can't have as many badass foods as they have in Vietnam. It's a shame. It really is. All right, Brandon. Well, we should probably start wrapping this up. I thought a good way to really end this conversation is to talk about the roller coaster experience of hypothetically traveling to Vietnam. When we started this project, we were very much planning on going honestly next week to Vietnam and we had a lot of things in place we were very excited I have traveled out of the country before with you to Italy and I've gone to a couple other places but never anywhere in Asia I was very excited we were traveling with a Vietnam war veteran it was going to be a very exciting experience I was very hopeful for it but of course due to COVID and 
just all of the things that are happening with the world, it has transitioned from being in June and now to a point where it might be next year. It could be this fall. It's really up in the air right now, which certainly isn't optimal. But before I get into my own thoughts and feelings about it, Brandon, why don't you talk about it a bit? Uh, I have experience planning such adventures as this. And I think even though I'm a white American and I can pretty much do whatever I want, as long as I have the money to spend on it, there's still, well, the world. And I don't have the kind of control that I wish I had over travel regulations and what my travel companions might want. So I've had a lot of experience doing this sort of thing before, and it always seemed essentially like a coin flip kind of happenstance, like especially considering how difficult it is to get to Vietnam. I always had it in the back of my mind that delays were to be expected. So, you know, obviously I'm sad that we're not going to be able to do it when we wanted to, but at the same time, we did get a lot out of it. We started this project, which will certainly be flourishing into something fantastic. And if only to start the Nom Nom project, I think doing all of this was was worth it in my view. Well said and well put too. I agree. I mean, I've been making content of some for another for quite a while now, a couple of years. I mean, really, honestly, since I was in high school, so seven or eight years now, but I've never done a project quite like this before. And to communicate with genuinely a worldwide community across our podcast and Instagram and TikTok has been absolutely exceptional. I think when I talk about my disappointment with not going to Vietnam, I don't think it's so much the inability to travel there at the moment. Because as I've told our investor before, who's your grandfather and someone I'm also very close to, Vietnam's still going to be there, whether we go this year or next year or five years from now or 10 years from now. Vietnam's still going to be there. I mean, hopefully it's still as Vietnam. <laughs> but you never know how the world goes. But it's not going anywhere. But I think for me, what I was really disappointed by was I was very excited to make some really cool content in the country of Vietnam course we were going to shoot a sort of docu-series and a vlog and I was very excited to share that with the world because honestly there's not a lot of good content when it comes to country Vietnam I think what we've provided in the last three months is honestly rare and I don't think it should be I mean with the amount of people in Vietnam and just the incredible history of Vietnam the fact that there's not a lot of shows like this is shocking to me and I was very excited to make visual content that would reach to parts of the world that really don't know a whole lot about Vietnam. I mean, if you went to YouTube and search Vietnam, your first 20 searches are all going to be about the Vietnam War. Now, maybe you might have a few travel vlogs about the country of Vietnam, but all those travel vlogs are really about, if we're being completely honest here, and no criticism to any of these creators, they're certainly doing incredibly hard work, and we have all the respect for them. But a lot of these travel vlogs are wealthy people going to this country and basically treating it as a tourist country. And I have yet to find any content that isn't made in Vietnam 
that really cares about the history and the culture of Vietnam, which is really heartbreaking because as we've talked about, Vietnam has such an immense history and incredible culture. And to be able to provide that for our community was something I was really excited about. Now, of course, as we discussed, I still think this is going to happen. We still are going to go to Vietnam at some point and we will create this content. Now, how that content will relate to what we've done with the first season of Nam Project is hard to say and what that will look like and when that will come out. You don't know. But as a Taoist, and as many of the Vietnamese people are Taoists, I guess I can relate to them in this way. I accept that the world at its core is out of our control. And yet everything has its purpose or its reason. And perhaps the reason is that when we actually do go to Vietnam, we'll have either the ability to make a better project. We'll just have more knowledge about Vietnam. We'll have more knowledge about filmmaking or the ins and outs of this process that perhaps by the time we get to it, it'll really all have been worth it. So at the end of the day, I accept it. And I'm so grateful that we got to the whole process. And I'm excited for season two. Destination and subject matter pending. But... (laughs) If you're listening to this podcast, you will be the first person to know. I'm sure of it. <laughs> All right, y'all. We are reaching the end of our podcast here. To find exclusive content, early access, and all kinds of cool stuff, not from the Nom Nom Project, but everything we do at Life Through Fiction, go to patreon.com slash life through fiction. That's patreon.com slash life through fiction. Brandon, any final words about the country of Vietnam before we close out here? Um, see you later, Space Cowboys or Vietnamese Cowboys. 